This is an Emmaus Church podcast. For more information about Emmaus Church, please visit EmmausDenver.com. Our scripture for today is Hebrews 6.13 through 7.28. So you can follow along with me um, on the screens right up here. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and and in all their disputes, an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath, so that by two unchangeable things, in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the most high God, met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. And to him, Abraham apportioned a tenth part of everything. He is first by translation of his name, king of righteousness. And then he is also king of Salem, that is king of peace. He is without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but resembling the son of God, he continues a priest forever. See how great this man was to whom Abraham the patriarch gave a tenth of the spoils. And those descendants of Levi who received the priestly office have a commandment in the law to take tithes from the people, that is, from their brothers, though these things are also descended from Abraham. But this man who does not have his descent from them received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. It is beyond dispute that the inferior is blessed by the superior. In one case, tithes are received by mortal men, but in the other case, by one of whom it is testified that he lives. One might even say that Levi himself, who received tithes, paid tithes through Abraham, for he was still in the loins of his ancestor when Melchizedek met him. Now, if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need would there have been for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek, rather than one named after the order of Aaron? For when there is a change in the priesthood, there is necessarily a change in the law as well. For the one of whom these things are spoken belong to another tribe, from which no one has ever served the altar. For it is evident that our Lord was descended from Judah, and in connection with the tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. This becomes even more evident when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek, who has not become a priest, not on the basis, who has become a priest, not on the basis of a legal requirement concerning bodily descent, but by the power of an indestructible life. For it is witnessed of him, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. For on the one hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness, for the law made nothing perfect. But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. And it was not without an oath, for those who, were formerly, for those who formerly became priests were made such without an oath, but this one was made a priest with an oath by the one who said to him, the Lord has, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. This makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office, but he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. 
Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. This is the word of the Lord. Emily kind of had a uh, little bit of a marathon passage there. Um, We may, um, if we don't have sermon slides, it's good. It's a good Sunday for that because we're really just going to walk through that passage this morning. So it would be helpful if you have a Bible just to kind of be in Hebrews. Um, We'll start, um, I'll have to find it on my, we'll start in chapter six. There it is in verse 13, um, and then we'll just kind of work our way through. Uh, and normally I do an outline, but I am kind of uh, trying to focus on just like one major theme this morning. Um, and as we walk through the passage, I'm really hoping that the, the things that we learn as we go through the passage will just sort of illuminate uh, that one major theme. So we're gonna, we're gonna be talking about how you should be confident that Jesus is able to bring us into God's presence. So if you you like to take notes, that's the one thing that we'll be hammering uh, all morning, that you should be confident that Jesus can bring you into the very presence of God. That, that's where your, your confidence should be. So hopefully that will, will, will make uh, some sense of that as we go. Uh, there's kind of two historical Bible s- stories uh, from the Old Testament that are behind a lot of what we read this morning, and I'll, I'll try to help give some context for that. But let's pray, and then, um, yeah, let's pray with confidence, knowing that Jesus is able to bring us into the presence of God. So let's pray. Father, thank you for our great high priest, Lord. I thank you that we we can turn to Jesus not just as our king, as our, as our Lord, as our savior, but we can turn to Jesus as a priest who is able to perfect. Um, yeah, there's, there's so much about the old priesthood as we walk through this passage, Lord, that, that is just not sufficient, uh, that's just not able to bring us into your presence the way your son is, Lord. So I pray that as we work through this passage that we would leave here this morning more impressed with, more encouraged by, more confident in Jesus himself. In your name I pray, amen. Yeah, so we're, we're working our way through Hebrews. Um, I think Cole said we're flying through Hebrews because we're taking giant chunks, um, which, you know, we're flying through it, and I feel like there's a, a, a lot we can get to when we, when we cruise through a book like this. Uh, but there's also like a, 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 an argument or sort of a flow that's happening from the previous chapters that's, that's harder to follow when you, when you break it up um, because it's difficult. We couldn't work through the whole book of Hebrews in one sitting. So in, to give you a little bit of a recap, he started the book of Hebrews by talking about how Jesus was better than the angels. He started the book of Hebrews by basically just saying, Jesus is the ultimate source of anything and everything you could possibly imagine. And he, he goes on to tell us then about how Jesus has, is also a great high priest. He's a great high priest. And he, and he even gives us like a little bit of an idea of what does that mean? Like, what does it mean that Jesus is a priest? And so he, he tells us, he says, a priest is there 
we have priests so that they can go between God and man, and a priest can bring man to God, can bring men and women to God himself. And he starts this sort of, he starts by saying, and Jesus is a priest that's, that's so much more legit than any other priest. Jesus is a priest after the, the order of Melchizedek. And then he, before he goes on, he kind of stops and says, well, I'd love to talk to you more about that, but I'm worried. So, so I have to kind of sidetrack for a moment. And that was last Sunday. Last Sunday, we spent some time sort of in this like sidetrack that he had where he's like, I don't want to talk to you about how wonderful the priesthood of Jesus is if you haven't first grappled with things like faith and repentance. I don't want to talk to you about how wonderful and amazing this Melchizedekian priesthood is unless you uh, have a grip on the reality that you're united to Jesus, that you've been baptized with him, and that there is resurrection. So he kind of goes off on this little sidetrack, and here we are this morning kind of getting back on track. So this, this big section that uh, was read is sort of the, the remaining explanation of, of, the, uh, most of the amazing reality that Jesus is this priest after the order of Melchizedek. And hopefully that will make a little more sense um, as, we, as we work through this, because it's not a, a name, it's not our favorite Bible story, isn't, oh, tell me about the one where Melchizedek was involved, you know? It's, like, it's just a couple of verses in Genesis, actually. So it's, it's interesting how he kind of pulls so much out of this. But I think uh, maybe a good, before we, before we jump into the passage itself, you know, let's just go with Melchizedek. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop and explain a little bit of the Levitical priesthood, a little bit of what it means um, to, be, to be a priest in Scripture. Um, but first, I want to kind of go with the, the flow of the passage here. And look at verse 13. He, remember, he's trying to give us confidence that Jesus is able to bring you into God's presence. This is, this is the, the whole place we're going. The, the, all morning, I'm going to repeat that over and over again. Confidence that Jesus is able to bring us into God's presence. So he says in our last passage, he's like, you know, I'm telling you all these things so you would have this assurance, so that you would have all of this confidence. I, I want you to have this confidence. And so he goes on in verse 13 and says, okay, because when God made a promise to Abraham... Since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes an oath is final for confirmation. And it kind of seems like a random, like, wait, why are we talking about Abraham when we're in the middle of this, this sort of uh, long explanation of priests? And he's trying to, he, he kind of ties this together, but he's trying to say, I want you to be confident. Let's go back and look at another Bible story where God was trying to give Abraham confidence. God was promising to Abraham. He said, surely I will bless you and multiply you. Like God shows, God shows up to Abraham and speaks those things to him. Like you think that he would have a lot of confidence in that. But he's like, God was so uh, cared for, so considered Abraham that not only did he want to give him confidence in the, the, the clear statement that he made, God swore by an oath. 
God swore by an oath. And he kind of says right there, for people swear by something greater than themselves in, in all of their disputes, an oath is final for confirmation. He's like, we use oaths, we use contracts, we, we use these things so that you have more certainty uh, about the, the promise or the thing that's gonna happen. You know, you could just say, hey, I'm gonna pay rent all year, I promise. And most people are gonna say, yeah, that's not enough for me. You know, I don't have enough confidence that you're gonna do that just because you said, you're like, okay, well, I'll sign on a sheet of paper. You know, okay, well, now I have, you know, you may not, but now I have more confidence uh, that, that you will actually pay rent because you've sort of sworn by an oath. And he's making this point that even early on, even with Abraham, God is saying, I want you to have a ton of confidence in what I'm gonna do. So God swears by himself. So look at verse uh, 17. This is what he says. So when God desired to show more convincingly, to give this confidence to the heirs of the promise, the unchangeable character of God's purpose, of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who, who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. He's saying God made a promise to Abraham so that his offspring would bless the nations. And this is a promise that you and I can cling to, that you and I can have hope in. And he said, God gave us two things that can't be changed so that we could have more confidence in this. Two things that can't be changed. God can't lie. He said, I'm gonna do this. Oh, and just to make us have a little more assurance for our sake, God said, and I swear by myself that I'll do this thing for you. So even back then, he's making this point that even back then, God is trying to give you confidence in the promises of God. He's trying to give you absolute certainty in the things that God promises to do. And, and he kind of says so that, that, by, that we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to this hope that's set before us. And this idea of holding fast to this hope is not, this isn't, isn't new as we've worked through, uh, as we've worked through the book of Hebrews. He's, so what is this hope? What's this thing that he's saying we can hold fast to? This thing that we can cling to? And we talked about it a little bit when, in Cole's sermon. We talked about it a little bit more in the, in the Sabbath series. But he, he, he told us that Jesus had completed his work and sat down at the right hand of the Father. He told us that Jesus passed through the heavens. He told us that Jesus was finally bringing mankind, the broken relationship between God and man that happened at the very beginning. He was finally bringing mankind into the very presence of God. This, this is the hope. Jesus, can, Jesus is actually capable of bringing all of us into the presence of God. And which, this is why we celebrate Sabbath weekly is because we're, we're, we experience that hope. We, we actually have rest in the completed work of Jesus. But you and I are looking forward to this future hope, this future reality where we see God face to face. We're, we're, we're made like him. We're standing in front of the God himself and we're experiencing the fullness of joy in the, in the thing that all of us were made for the thing that all of us were made for, to be in the very presence of God, to be comforted, to be encouraged, to have joy. I think we want to be in the presence of God more than Graham wants to be in the presence of his father right now. But that's what, that we cling to that. 
And we should want that and we should desire that. We should scream at the top of our lungs, Lord, bring me into your presence. And he gives us this hope. He gives us this hope. He says that he's, he wants us to have this hope and he's promised and he's sworn and he's told us flat out. And he wants us to just have confidence that Jesus is able to bring us into the presence of God. That's what he wants. And I love what he says. This is our, our, our beautiful design for uh, our series. Uh, thank you for putting that together. <laughs> Looks really good with the anchor. I don't know if the slide guys are like, where's that picture? Um, but we have a picture of our confidence. Oh yeah, see, there it is. Our, confident, our confidence is this anchor. And this is where it comes from in this passage. He says, we have this, we have this a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. We have this. What is he talking about? He's talking about this hope. We have this hope that Jesus is able to bring us into the presence of God. We, ha- we have this hope that Jesus is capable and competent and is, is able to bring us into the very presence of God where there's fullness of joy. And he's saying this hope that we have is an anchor. Is an anchor for, for your very being. It is an anchor for, for who you are and how you feel is an anchor for everything that's going on in the world. And I, and I kind of, I love that imagery. And it's kind of, we get this like sloshing sea here. It, it, life is a little bit like that. And sometimes it's a lot bit like that. But you're just, you're just being like tossed around. You don't know how the day is going to go. You don't know how the week is going to go. You don't know what next year is going to look like. You're stressed about getting somewhere on time in the next hour. If you're like me, I don't look that far ahead. But you're, you're being tossed around. And he's saying this hope that Jesus is able to bring us into the presence of the Father is what grounds our very soul. This is what Jesus is capable of doing. And I love, he goes on to tell us, it's, it's, not a, it's a steadfast anchor of the soul, but it's more than that. It's, it's something that happens today. He's, he's, gonna, he's gonna use some, some present tense verbs right here, as in this is going on. He says, it's a hope that now enters into the inner place behind the curtain. Enters into the inner place behind the curtain. And he's kind of hinted at this uh, when he talked about Jesus earlier passing through the heavens. He's saying this hope, this idea that Jesus is able to bring us into the very presence of God is something that passes through all of reality into the very throne room of God. I love the way Jonathan Owens described. He said, just like an anchor, when you drop an anchor and it sinks to the bottom of the sea and it it pierces through the water, in the same way, this hope that Jesus is able to bring us into the presence of God pierces through the heavens, straight to the throne room of God and is able to bring you today into the very presence of God. That's 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 why he wants us to have confidence that Jesus is able to bring us into God's presence. He's talking about the supernatural reality that Jesus as priest can do things for us today and give us a real tangible experience of who God is in, in, in no way the old priesthood could do. In, in no way that was possible before. And he kind of picks back up on this in verse 20. He says, where Jesus has gone is a forerunner on our behalf. So it's behind the curtain. It's this hope that's gone behind, behind reality to the presence of God, right where Jesus has gone is a forerunner. 
It's this idea that he isn't going for himself necessarily. He's going as a forerunner to bring others with him. He's going to the the very presence of God so that as a priest, he can continue to bring us into God's presence today. He's going as a forerunner, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So we get kind of back to this idea of Melchizedek. Who is this dude? It's an interesting story, and he kind of touches on it in the next few verses. But Abraham, if you know a little bit of biblical history, Abraham is, you kind of get like Adam and Eve, you know, they're sort of a big point on the, on the timeline, and then you get Noah, kind of, a, kind of a big point on the timeline, and then you get Abraham. And then later you get Moses and Israel and David and, and all of those things. So Abraham is kind of like, if you're part of Jewish, Jewish tradition at all, Abraham is like a big deal. We're saying that everything kind of comes from Abraham, uh, which is fascinating because even in Islam, there's an association with Abraham. Like he, he's like, he is a big deal. So he goes, Abraham, there's a story in Genesis, and I think it's only a few verses, where Lot gets taken away and Abraham gets the original 300, uh, 315 dudes or something. I don't know if they were all as cut, but they went and destroyed, they went and destroyed the kings and kind of brought everything back. So he rescued Lot and brings everything back. And he goes to Salem, uh, and there's a priest of God there, a, a, a legitimate priest of Yahweh, a priest of God. And what he does is Abraham gives a portion, gives a portion of what he uh, was given, or what he was taken by conquering the kings, gives a portion of that to the priest. And the, and the priest there, again, this is before Moses, this is before the tabernacles, before the temples, before all of that stuff. He gives a, a portion to the priest and the priest blesses him. And we hear nothing else about this, about this priest for the, the rest of the Bible. And now, he's, now in Hebrews, he's quoted a psalm. There's a, a psalm, it's, just like a, it's like a poem, it's like a song that's talking about this Melchizedek. And it's looking forward, the, the psalm is looking forward and saying, there's another priest that's coming that's going to be a forever eternal priest like Melchizedek. And so, so this is sort of the background story that, that's going on when we get into these verses. So look at chapter 7. Remember, he's trying to give us confidence that Jesus is able to bring us into God's presence. So he's going to compare Jesus to, this, to these other priests but by using this, what he's called this order of Melchizedek. He's saying Jesus is like this priest that we know very little about, but it's actually teaching us about what Jesus would do today. So look at chapter seven, verse one. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the most high God, met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. And to him, Abraham appointed a 10th part of everything, He is first, Melchizedek, by translation of his name, king of righteousness. And then he is also king of Salem, that is, king of peace. He is without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but resembling the son of God, he continues as a priest forever. He's saying when we go back and look at this Melchizedek, and look at his interaction with Abraham, and we look in Genesis and we see the legitimacy of this priest, he doesn't have a genealogy. Like, we know where Abraham came from. 
It's like, you know, if you've ever done the Bible reading plan and you get to the genealogies, you're like, oh my gosh, why do I need to know like the father of, the father of, the father of? And they had all these kids. And then it's like, oh, now we'll go back over here. The father of, the father of, the father. So there's, there's, they're meticulous about, about, about knowing the genealogy. They're meticulous about the, the seed promised from Genesis all the way to the Messiah. They wanted to, to know the genealogy. And he's saying, when we look back on this story, we have someone who is a king, a legitimate king of Salem, which is kind of pointing forward to Jerusalem. We have a king of Salem, a legitimate king of God, and he's a priest. He's a legitimate priest of God. He, so his job is to bring even Abraham into the presence of God. And we don't even have genealogy for this guy. So, th- so there's this idea that because we don't know where he came from or where he went, He's sort of this like he, he's sort of this eternal priest. He's this priest that, that has no beginning or end. And it, it tells us right here at the end in verse three, he's resembling the Son of God, so he continues as a priest for forever. He's saying that priest in the Old Testament was actually resembling what the Son of God would do. The, the, the things that happened with Abraham was teaching us about this new priesthood this new priesthood that we could, you and I could have so much more confidence in. This new priesthood where, where Jesus was eternal and not uh, replaced every year like some of the priests in, in the Old Testament. This new priesthood where, where he was made perfect so that you and I could, could draw near to God in a way that was really unique. And he kind of goes on to talk about um, Levi and Aaron. And so he moves from this story about Abraham and Melchizedek, and he moves into the, what's kind of what's going on with the temple. Uh, what, what the most of your Old Testament is about, um, what, what, what uh, the, the sort of like, we have the most information on, on what's going on with like the temple, the tabernacle, uh, the, the era of the kings, Israel as a nation. And he kind of goes on to that, that era uh, in what we call redemptive history. And he's, ex- he's explaining it to us. And if you kind of in the background, and he doesn't go into all the details because his, his crowd would have had some familiarity with this, but the job of this, these Levitical priests, uh, Aaron being the first one, so maybe Gene shouldn't call me old prophet, or he should call me old priest. I don't, I don't know if that's appropriate or not. Um, but he's going back to the Old Testament, and he's talking about what the priests do. And I was talking to Ben about it, and Ben's like, we don't even know what it's like. Like, if every Sunday we'd, like, slit throats of animals and, like, sacrifice, like, some of the things were, like, pretty graphic. Like, there's a lot of work that went into worship in the temple, um, which, if they had planning center, coordinating all of the volunteers on that would have been, like, really hard. So God's like, I know that will take forever. So out of the 12 tribes, one tribe, that's what you're going to do. You're just going to do that. Um, so that, those are the Levites. They're, they're doing all of these things. And, and what they're doing, what they're, what they're doing is they're doing these sacrifices, they're doing these washings, they're doing all these things uh, in the temple. And what's, what's important about that is the temple is where God specifically dwells. That, that's where God has decided to make his presence known, in the temple. So much so that even it, uh, when, when the glory left Solomon's temple, when the, when the visible manifestation of the most beautiful temple left the temple, the people weeped because it wasn't about the sacrifices per se. It wasn't about the temple per se. It was about the people 
being able to live in a country, being able to live in a city, being able to approach a God where he's worshiped. Because there, you cannot approach a holy, magnificent, wonderful God when you have sin in and of yourself. So there's this whole mechanism in the Old Testament, this super complex mechanism that was drawing everyone into the, to the very presence of God. And one of my favorite kind of laws when they're explaining like what the Levites are supposed to do, the priests, the guys that do all the stuff, they had some priests that guarded the outside of the tabernacle or the temple, just one's a tent, one's a building, kind of does the same thing. They had Levites on the outside guarding these things because they're like, well, if someone touches this temple because God is here and they're unclean, they'll die. So your job is to make sure no one unclean touches it and dies. So they're going through, these priests enable the people of God to approach God himself. So now he's saying, hey, that's a big deal. There was a lot going on there. This is important for God's people to be able to approach God himself. But we have a better priest. We have a priest that can accomplish so much more than that. And he's like, I want you to have confidence. I want you to be certain that that priest can actually bring you into the very presence of God today. Amen. Better priest. You should have confidence in that. So he goes on to kind of make a comparison. Look at verse four. He says, see how great this man was to whom Abraham the patriarch gave a tenth of the spoils. He's like, look, Abraham, he's a big deal, but he gave money to Melchizedek. He was even better. And those descendants of Levi who received the priestly office, that's what we're just talking about, have a commandment in the law to take tithes from the people, that is from their brothers, though these also are descended from Abraham. So the, the, the Levitical priests were supposed to get tithes from, from the brothers so they could do all the, the, the priestly things. They didn't have land and weren't able to cultivate and labor like the rest of the tribes. So they're like, oh, well, while we're over here serving in the temple so that you can gather to God, uh, you have to give a tithe to us. But there was, some, there was some equality there. He says, but this man, he's talking about Melchizedek, who does not have his descent from them, receives tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. It is beyond dispute that the inferior is blessed by the superior. He's saying, look, just look at the story in the Bible. The, the priests that serve in the temple and do all these things, they're, they're, they're kind of big deal. They're prescribed by God. But look back in the Bible. The priest that would come from Abraham... That would, that would come from his offspring. Abraham himself was blessed by this Melchizedek. So even then we should be thinking as we look back in our Bible, there was a better priesthood. There was like a better way to bring people into the presence of God. Verse nine, or sorry, verse eight. He says, in one case, tithes are received by mortal men, but in the other case, the one whom it is testified that he lives one might even say that Levi himself, who received tithes, paid tithes through Abraham, because he wasn't born yet, for he was still in the loins of his ancestor when Melchizedek met him. So here he is, trying to help us have confidence that all the different things that the Levitical priests did so that the people of God could come and gather and be in God's presence, all of those things that they did we're just a shadow of something that would be much, much greater. And he goes on to kind of explain that. 
the end of the day, he wants us to have confidence. You should have confidence that Jesus is a better priest. You should have confidence that Jesus is able to bring you into the presence of God. Look at verse 11. Now, if perfection had been attained, attainable through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need would there have been for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek, rather than one named after the order of Aaron? For when there is a change in the priesthood, there is necessarily a change in the law as well. He's trying to help us understand the difference here. Every Sabbath, then there was a bunch of other Sabbaths, and then there was the annual feast. There was all of these things that they did so that the people could approach God, so that the people could be in God's presence, so that the creator of the universe who decided to dwell with his people, his sinful people, could approach a holy God and enjoy him and worship him and find rest in him and their confidence in him. All of these things that they, they did, they had to keep doing. They had to keep doing. Like it didn't, you think perfection didn't happen. We had to keep going. And, and it'll actually talk about some of these things more as we, as we go through the book of Hebrews. But he's saying, he's like, look guys, the people could approach God through these things, but even when the, the priest did all the things and they could come up to the temple once a year, the, the high priest could walk into the Holy of Holies and once a year, just the high priest could for a moment be in the presence of God. And there's an interesting tradition that they would tie a rope around that high priest um, so in case he did something wrong and died, they could drag him out. He's just looking back and saying, they could get into the presence of God-ish, but it didn't perfect. We had to keep doing it. It didn't even allow for all of the people to be in God's presence. There was just one guy once a year that could do that. There was no perfection there. In verse 13, he says, for the one whom these things are spoken belong to another tribe from which no one has ever served at the altar. He's talking about Melchizedek again. He's, 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 he's bringing the idea that Jesus is a priest. And he's like, all of these things that I've been telling you about Jesus, we know, look at verse 14, for it's evident that our Lord was descended from Judah. And in connection with that tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. So he's kind of just making the point here that I'm telling you about all these things about what Jesus did. I, I, I'm telling you that he's a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek because we know where Jesus came from. He was born of the tribe of Judah. He was a line of the tribe of Judah is where we get that, that, that name from. And if we look back at the law and we go through everything that Moses wrote, there was nothing about that tribe that had a priest. But we know that Jesus was a priest because he was after this order. And we know that he's better because he is a perfect priest. We know that he's better because he can bring all of his people into the very presence of God. We know that he's better because he's passed through the heavens and is at the right hand of the, the Father right now. No priest ever did that. And I love what he says in the next verse. It's almost like, he's like, I, you know, I'm telling you who's better, but I'm like, I'm saying these things over and over and over again so that you would have confidence. He's like, I want you, 
God's people today to have confidence today that the priest, this better priest, can bring you into the presence of God. He's so much better than everything that came before him. And then verse 15, he's like, this becomes more evident. Okay, well, if it wasn't evident enough, this becomes even more evident when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek, who has become a priest not on the basis of legal requirements concerning bodily descent. He's saying all the other priests, when you were in the tribe of Levi, guess what your role was? Priest. (laughs) That's bodily descent. You could not be a priest if you weren't of the tribe of Levi. And he's saying that's not how he became priest. He did not become priest because of just following a particular law. He says, but by the power of an indestructible life. For it is witnessed of him, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. But by the power of an indestructible life. What a way to become priest. He's saying he's, he's not a priest because he was just born into a family. This is why you can have confidence as Jesus is your priest. This is why you can have confidence that Jesus can bring you into the very presence of God. Because it wasn't just about who he was born from. It was about the resurrection reality. It was what death couldn't even contain him. This is a priest that, priest that has an indestructible life. How do you even compare that to anything that's come before the, the, the priests of old were, yeah, able to get us to get in proximate to God in the temple. His glory was there. There was real presence of God in a nation. It's like, this is a priest who has risen from the dead. That's how competent he is. He's a priest with an indestructible life. And it's interesting, he, he wants to, he kind of goes back to this idea of the oath, And I think it's because he's trying to remind us of how much confidence we can have in what that priest does. He's like, God made promises to Abraham. And if God could have just said, hey, I'm going to do this and God can't lie. So we should have just accepted that. But God's like, I want you to have confidence. So even in this place where we talk about how amazing Jesus is as a priest, he's like, you know what? He rose from the dead. He's after the order of Melchizedek. I told you he's going to be a priest forever. But I want, to have, I want you to have more confidence so we have a priest now that's confirmed with an oath. Look at verse 18. It says, For on one hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness. He's talking about uh, the, the reality that the, the old priest could not perfect. The, the way that that happened is set aside because those things could not perfect. For the law made nothing perfect. Verse 19. But on the, better, on the other hand, a better hope is introduced, a better hope through which we draw near to God. He's reminding us again what, what, what the purpose of the priests are. He's like, there was a lot of things that they had to do. Now that we have a new priesthood, those things have changed. We're, we're, not, we're not going through the motions in the temple anymore. Those things couldn't perfect. We, we have something better that enables us, he says, to draw near to God. You have the ability to experience the real and present reality of the creator of the universe because you have a better priest that's able to to perfect you in him so that you can be in the presence of God 24-7. In Christ, as you're baptized into him, we talked about that a little bit last week, 
you are in the heavenly places. You have, you have received a form of rest, even though we look forward to a greater one. Verse 20, and it was not without an oath. For those who formerly became priests were made such without an oath. But this one was made a priest with an oath by the one who said to him, again, quoting a psalm, he says, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. God is swearing again in the oath sense. He's, he's promising us. He wants us to have confidence. And I think, I think about this, I love the, the punchline. You know, we've been saying this over and over again, verse 20, 22, sorry. He says, this makes Jesus the guarantee of a better covenant. It's like this, this, this oath, this, this indestructible life, this ability to perfect, the, the, this competency that Jesus has as a priest makes him better. Yeah, it does. I like how he just puts that right in front of us. And there's, there's so many things that distract us from the presence of God. There's so many things that, that hinder us from enjoying and worshiping and finding rest in God. And I think about all the stuff that the, the Old Testament saints had to go through. You know, they, they had to show up at the temple on Saturday. They had to, if they were poor, they had to bring a dove. If they were not, they had to bring a, a, a bigger animal. And kind of depending on what they were, were doing, there's different animals. They had, to, they had to go through like all these motions so that weekly they could have a sense of where God dwelled with his people on the planet. They did that so they could get a sense of that weekly and, and some of the other feasts. But now, we have things that distract us from that. Whether it's work, whether it's kids, whether it's what's on our minds, whether it's things we're stressed about, conflict, being really tired. There's so many things that can keep us from enjoying the very presence of God. And I think what the author of Hebrews would say, have confidence that Jesus is able to bring you into God's presence. None of those things will hinder him. That's where your confidence is. None of those things will hinder Jesus from being able to give you a sense of who God is. None of those things will hinder your great high priest from giving you a peace that passes understanding. None of those things will, will hinder you from, from seeing the glory and the beauty of God as you pursue him, as you can, you can approach the throne of grace in any time of need, in any place, in Jesus as your high priest, you should be confident that he is able to bring you into the presence of God. Yes, That's what he's promising. That's wonderful. What, what, if we, what if we had that confidence and we were really dragging because we stayed up all night, but we could approach God and say, I have a priest that can bring me there. What if we showed up on a Sunday with, with everything going on in the world and said, Lord, I want to approach you in worship, in song, in communion, and I want to consider you not because I'm able to ascend to the heavens, but because I have a competent priest who is able to bring me into the very presence of God. 
if we had more experience of God himself, because we have confidence in what Jesus is capable of doing, that changes things. There isn't an environment where Jesus can't bring you into God's presence. There isn't a, a, a way you handled the last weekend or a sin that you fell into or a struggle that you have that, that isn't, that's hindering God, that's hindering Jesus, our high priest, from bringing you into the presence of God. You can approach with confidence. Not because of who we are, but we have this priest who lasts for forever. Verse 23 says, the former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. He's forever. He has an indestructible life. There's not an environment that hinders Jesus's role as priest for you. Consequently, verse 25, he is able to save to the uttermost. To the uttermost. Not a word we used a whole lot. He's able to save in every possible situation and extent where some saving is necessary. (laughs) Every situation. He is able to rescue you from the broken things of the world and give you a real sense of the presence of God so that you could have joy even in the hardest of times so that you could have peace, so that you could have an anchor for the soul in the sloshing ocean that is our lives sometimes. He's able to save to the uttermost. Who? Those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Those of us who draw near. He's saying, have confidence. Have confidence in the reality that Jesus is able to bring you into God's presence. Have confidence in your priest, not in what you did or how you feel or your situation or the difficulty you're dealing with. Have confidence in your priest, the one who is capable of bringing you into the presence of the Father. Into the last couple of verses. It says, it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. Just recapping some of the wonderful, amazing things that Jesus has accomplished. This is who he is. He's gone through the heavens. He's there in the presence of God. So he's able to intercede for you in any situation on your behalf. Jesus has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily for his own sins and then of those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. He's reminding us that there's nothing that hinders us from approaching God. We don't have to worry about touching the tabernacle and dying. No one has to tie a rope around you to drag you out of the presence of God just in case you didn't do everything right. So sacrifice has been made. The the door is open. There's nothing you've done that could hinder you from enjoying the presence of God. 
it's over. Verse 28 says, For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests. Men make weak priests. But the word of an oath, the word of an oath with this, this double promise where God said it and he promised so that you and I would have confidence the two things that are impossible to change, both the promise and the swearing of God, the, the statement from God himself. He says, but by the word of an oath, he appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. He appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. And that's where our confidence needs to be. That's where our confidence needs to be. You sit down, to pray, maybe you're just praying as you think through some of the chaos of the day, you have a priest who is capable of bringing you to the presence of God. You come to worship on Sunday and you're not feeling it, you have a priest who is able to bring you in the presence of God. You don't feel worthy to eat of the bread and, the, and drink of the wine, you're not. You have a priest who's once for all made the sacrifice and is now able to bring you into the presence of God. You should have confidence that Jesus is able to bring you into the very presence of God. It's a beautiful thing. Let's pray. Father, We come before you distracted, weak, struggling to articulate who you are, wanting to know your character. And yet you tell us to come with confidence before you, come with confidence pleading with you to give us grace and mercy in the time of need. You want to encourage us with your presence. You want to transform us with who you are. And you do that because we have confidence in your son. You do that because we have a better priest. We have someone who's passed through the heavens. We have someone with an indestructible life. We have someone unstained from sin. We have someone who's, who's already sacrificed himself and risen again and is on the other side. And because of his competency, because of who he is, Lord, we can come before you and he can bring us into your presence. Lord, I pray that that would be a real experience for us this morning. I pray that it'd be a real experience as we take the bread and we remember what you've given for us and that your body is broken for us. I pray that be a real experience as we taste the wine, that your blood was shed, that the wrath has been poured out, and Lord, that, that those things would just remind us and through your spirit and by your son, by our perfect priest, it would bring us into your very presence. And we would finish our time of worship responding and singing in praise and joy that comes from experiencing you. Lord, as our high priest, I pray that you would enable us to see you for who you are, that this hope, that this confidence would pierce through the heavens and we get a sense of who you are even this morning.
your name I pray. Amen.